I'm Tass Mellis of The Starters. This is Ben Golver with the Open Floor Podcast. Hi, I'm Kristen Ludlow from NBA Inside Stuff. I'm OG Ananobi of the Toronto Raptors. Hey, I'm Elena Donon, and welcome to the Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch. Double Clutch Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Nick Whitfield, one of your regular hosts. I am joined by a good friend of mine, Gogo Rakota Narina. Hello, Gogo. What's up, Nick Whitfield? Good to see you, mate. I'll do a proper introduction shortly. As always, we have Captain Kirk behind the scenes making the magic happen. Hello to Kirk. Yeah, welcome, welcome. <laughs> okay, and let's get cracking. Let's go straight into Around the Association. Okay, in a week in which lockdown restrictions and social distancing have either been relaxed or dropped altogether in the UK, it's very clear that Drew Holiday didn't get the message. He's been all up in Chris Paul, Devon Booker and the Phoenix Suns' personal space this week as the Milwaukee Bucks beat the Suns 123-119. to In the Bucks' three straight wins to take the lead in the series, having been 2-0 down, Holiday has been considerably different player with his three-point shots finally dropping and him playing the kind of defence that Holiday has become known for. I have no doubt that however this series ends, the Suns will feel like after facing Drew in this series, they will have earned their summer vacation. In what I can only describe as the greatest thing I've ever seen, Game 5 of the NBA Finals culminated in a steal and alley finished by Yanis, that was an exact mirror of the final play in the movie Above the Rim. I think that makes Monty Williams Tupac Shakur in this case, and I apologise in advance that you now also will not be able to shake that image. LeBron James was seen this week courtside at the NBA Finals with an entire bottle of tequila under his chair. Some have speculated LBJ was actually drowning his sorrows after early reviews have suggested that despite sharing identical teammates this time around, he may have actually failed to match Michael Jordan's cinematic career arc, this time on the big screen rather than the hardwood. Adele, open brackets, yes, that one, close brackets, was also seen courtside with ESPN's Brian Windhorst, of all people, with the apparent celebrity romance connections stating that she is in fact dating Rich Paul, but more on that later. In strange news, today saw at least 11 people arrested in a large-scale protest in London against lockdown restrictions, literally on the day lockdown restrictions have been lifted. This is basically like protesting for Yanis to take longer at the free throw line or the NBA to add even more fourth quarter stoppages or for Boris Johnson to look even more like a posh private schoolboy playing the prime minister in a school play, but who's forgotten his lines and is having to ad lib based only on the experience he holds in his strange and entitled existence. More seriously, and to make me feel like some of the themes we'll look at today feel more important than just chatting hoops, those ugly scenes in London are perhaps not just a reflection of a population worn down by COVID. I think the digital platforms that play an increasingly large role in our lives need to be frequently and openly discussed. How we, how businesses, and how even sports use these platforms, I would argue, is already far more influential, persuasive, and important than any other form of media. That screen we hold in our pockets can feel so personal, but can essentially also be a portal into our psyche for mostly harmless messaging and marketing, but also nefarious intent. With the rise and increasing sophistication of misinformation on these digital platforms that we use every day, with our societies becoming dangerously polarized, and the increasing manufacturing and legitimation of anger and violence to our everyday life this brings, 
It is vital that good people are put in charge of these channels. I'm delighted to welcome tonight one of the good guys, a social media whiz kid, a digital guru, a great friend and former colleague, Gautier, aka GoGo, Rakota Arena. How are you, mate? I'm doing great, man. What a mighty introduction. What's up, Nick? Good to have you with us. So do you want to give our audience a little idea about uh, what you do day to day? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I work for FIBA Media. So FIBA is the governing body of international basketball. Um, and uh, within its many divisions around the world, there's one entity that's focused on selling TV rights, operating broadcast operations to make sure that images of the game get on TV. And then there's a digital marketing team that's focused on uh, making sure clients, rights holders have images, uh, but also that we communicate through uh, publishers, through players, through influencers, um, and through celebrities. Um, I'm, um, working, um, in that subset of, of, uh, population as what is called, uh, uh, the head of third party marketing. So any party that is not a TV rights owner, uh, is managed by our team, um, basically, uh, from the U S all the way down to Indonesia and Australia. Uh, we collaborate with um, players, uh, content creators, journals, editors um, to try and see what's the best and most original way to make people aware of the international basketball uh, around the world. Um, so, yeah, we're in charge of that subset of relationships worldwide. Nice. And if I can talk about your area of expertise, sports and social media. So. I'm going to start with a very big question. How important to sport is social media now? It's it's critical. I think what we're living, and it's always nice to think about where we came from in the history of media, fan behaviors in watching sports has really evolved over, over centuries. We used to uh, go watch a sport, and then you could maybe read about it in a newspaper, and then it became radio, and then television came. And then the Kardashians brought social media uh, and then LeVar Ball made it explode um, for in the sports scene. And, and the reality is that there's so many different ways of consuming sports now. What everybody's doing is fighting for um, people's attention. And, and social media has many assets in its belt, uh, many tools to use to get people's attention. Um, we're not just watching a full um, a full game of one team um, as a fan now. You're probably waking up and scrolling through doing your own editorial research every morning without knowing so. Uh, but you're you know getting information on ten different sports, five different teams because there's a highlight there, because there's a tweet, um, and uh, and and we're all more aware of what's happening around the world. Um, sometimes you don't even search for it; it's just sitting right there. Uh, because the algorithm on Instagram works or because you're following a sports channel on TikTok, or maybe you wake up to a live stream on Twitch and basically you get a review of what happened the day before. So without social, I think we'd be missing on so many fans because not all of us go back to their television in the morning or after work uh, or during lunch breaks um, because we don't necessarily also have the same attention span. Uh, we'll come to the clutch games. We'll come uh, to the Euro finals, uh, and and social allows us to bridge all these other times where we're on our phone, uh, whether it be 15, 20 minutes a day. Um, social is there to uh, uh, give us the 411 on what happened around the world. 
And I think one of the interesting things for me is every year, particularly around the NBA finals, the conversation point around TV ratings comes up, mostly in my opinion, because it's very easy to tie into um, what they can charge uh, for the TV contracts for the rights. And what I think is interesting moving forward is increasingly how digital metrics will become almost more important. Um, and the reason they're not already, I think, is basically because it's harder for uh, rights holders to find that like quite as easy like causal link between uh, this is what we did on digital and that resulted in X amount of money. But when you think about like uh, how important Instagram is, if you're a Lakers fan, say, about your engagement with that brand and that uh, those players and the fact you identify yourself as a fan that way, a lot of your actual engagement is on Instagram or TikTok or however you like to consume your content. Um, and yeah, that, that's how I view it moving forward. And that's why I find these conversations around TV ratings a little bit irrelevant because I don't think that's how anyone kind of under 40 is like their primary and only way of watching sport now. No, I think I've, I've hit. I think you've hit the nail. It's uh, we're at that at that period where first rights or like rights owners are changing in their nature. You know, when Amazon Prime buys uh, sports rights to put it on their OTT uh, or uh, platforms like YouTube look into acquisition of rights in certain markets, or Facebook gives it a go in in Brazilian football. Um, we're trying to find out how you can get the the fan or create the fan in a way that seems seamless. And if possible, the best user experiences without a paywall, because fans don't wanna put out a single Euro, dollar, GBP or real out there because there's the assumption that now uh, sports is a little bit more democratized and should be accessible. Um, it's, it's the ever ending balance of at what point do you need to operate to create good feeds? And then that means you might have to put, you know, a little price um, on, on, on how to access the, the footage and what can you give for free? And at what point do you offer it for free to the fans? Do you do it in real time or do you embargo it because you need to make sure that somebody has first dibs? Um, it's a, it's a, it's an amazing space and it moves so quick. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a fascinating. So moving on a little bit, uh, you, you've since been promoted since we last worked together. So huge congrats for that. But one area I want to talk to you about is, uh, so when we worked together, you were kind of in charge of uh, talent or um, I'm also going to use the word influencers, which uh, in some quarters has some cynicism attached to it. So what I want to talk to you about is uh, what does the average fan not know about what goes into uh, working with influencers or talent around a big sports competition? Um, look, I think I think what you said is very important. The word influencer is an ugly word. I think generally speaking, um, uh, what people don't understand is not all influencers have the same value and there's a misconception of what the influencer is. Um, just because you have a following base on Instagram or Facebook does not mean you are actually influential. Um, and let alone does not mean if you do influence, you, are, you influence society positively, whether it be in sports um, or, or, or any other domain. Um, I've been working in community engagement in the broadest sense on basically how do you get a citizen or a population of people hooked uh, for 10 years. Now it's in sports, but before it was in public health and before it was also 
in uh, in uh, the Viking community for Harley Davidson. And there are different ways of influencing these communities. And I think this is why um, um, it, it takes some time to really understand what your audience was. In the space of FIBA, it's 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 a wide audience in the world from, from the West to the East. Um, first and foremost, there's a lot of basketball fans out there. So you won't be able to get them all with one universal influencer. And the, the, the ugly part of the influence space is, you know, the whole principle of an Instagram model having 2 million followers is that true influence. And does that benefit society? And will people actually recall the brands that she mentioned uh, or he or she mentioned when they're publicizing, you know, six brands in one day because they've got six brand deals or, or is a Dortmund player with the same 2 million followers who actually gets maybe 10 times the amount of engagement on his channel, a proper influencer. And does he position himself as a, as an influencer is what we really want to find out. Um, my take is um, people don't know when they're influenced, generally speaking. They're not necessarily aware or where they picked up a message. Um, and uh, and sometimes it's a blend of both. It's how do you get your Dortmund player to uh, push out a message knowing that he doesn't care about uh, a basically a, a brand deal because he has enough money he's, he's genuinely making through his uh, football contract um, and at the same time, his fan is his fan base is loyal, and we know they love sports. Versus the fashion influencer, who's probably in it for a paycheck, who needs to keep pushing content, and who actually needs the freebies. Uh, whether or not it looks like two million followers glamorous does not mean necessarily that it's bankable. Um, so what I like about the influencer space is that it's evolving. Um, I, I hope that people also are a little bit more um, critical in terms of what content they're faced to and don't just take in the information for facts. I think when you live a crisis like COVID-19, everybody's realizing that it's easy to get influenced by one Facebook post. Whether or not it has scientific background is irrelevant because once a message is put out there, it can spread quickly. Um, and in a marketing space, what people need to know is Influencer marketing works when you can measure it. Um, at the end of the day, you're going to have a few metrics um, to measure success because you probably will have to spend a bit of amount of money either to push a piece of content or to create an image or a video. Um, and at the same time, if you push it through the influencer with 2 million followers, maybe it'll work once on her channel. But if I push it through the Dortmund player, it will go on his page, but then get picked up by a publisher and then another player and then an influencer. And that's also the gamble. It's that there are things we can measure, but you also hope that certain things or statements or pieces of content get viral. And today's technology might not be able to actually track it and then really get the media value because things are tracked with hashtags and keywords. But image tracing or intense tracing, the basically understanding what the intent was, isn't something that we can do easily with today's technology. Uh, you'd have to pay a third party a lot of money uh, to trace, I don't know, the spread of an image around the world or around the internet. Um, one of the downsides to the industry, I'd say, is overly monetized. Uh, and uh, monetization adds this ugly aspect to uh, uh, to human nature, 
Uh, we used to pay people uh, for the quality of their IDs. Now we pay bad IDs for the number of people they can reach. And this is where we all have to be very mindful um, as experts in the domains, but also with people we work with as to what message we want out there. And we vet people on their values. And, and in that sense, you're almost taking an influencer into an ambassador because you're fact-checking who they are. You really have to connect and ask them, what's your purpose here? Why are you doing this? What do you want to achieve? What do you want to change? As opposed to, oh, you got 10 million followers. Here you go. Thank you for that incredibly comprehensive answer. So finally, on digital culture and sports, I want to ask you, what are the next trends in your opinion? What, what should people be looking out for? That's a very good question. I think um, I like doing West versus East because I think uh, China is often misunderstood in the way their social platforms Something like TikTok existed in the, under the name Douyin for a long time before it reached the West. Um, I think in the West, out, there's a clutter of platforms now. Um, there's always a time uh, where a little social media channel will start losing users um, and will eventually have to either get bought out or um, in, in, in integrated into another one. Um, Vine died and that transformed into micro content. Um, that actually help YouTube acquire uh, uh, content creators. And then those content creators later uh, uh, helped TikTok, uh, Instagram grow, and then eventually TikTok. I think we're in a phase where in regards to social media channels in the West, one platform will sooner or later get bought out or dissipate. Um, I'd say Facebook won the battle of the elders. Um, very hard, but well done. Um, Snapchat is surviving, but only in certain markets. Um, and I'm surprised they're still alive. TikTok is killing the sports partnership game. Um, they've made massive runs over the past, I'd say, 24 months to uh, acquire partnerships during COVID as well to find uh, new ways of pushing out content to a fan base they were beginning in the West. And I also think Clubhouse uh, surprisingly did incredible user acquisition during the pandemic utilizing people's available time, but also understanding people did not want to physically show their face. You know, when you put on a few five kilos during COVID, it also impacts the way you're going to behave and you communicate. Not everyone can be as beautiful as you and me, Gogo. I, I know, and it is what it is. And there's a reason also why I cut the image down to my waist, you know. Um, but Clubhouse understood people wanted to, to, to connect, to talk there was a need to find also a space that was not LinkedIn, but that also had a professional um, 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 a value to it and unofficially became the vocal LinkedIn where you can connect to a CEO and actually have the opportunity of not having to go through five assistants, six emails to connect to that person and also have this sort of podcasty side of it. Um, so I like the space where platforms will evolve. But is audio the thing? I don't know. I'd love to see more holograms. Um, I think we've come to a point where we've solved visual content. We've solved audio content. I think there's two senses I'd like to see improve is, yes, the visual aspect, something maybe a little bit more in 3D we can interact with. And then um, smell. 
smelling social media. I mean, wouldn't you like to go on the Instagram of a restaurant and then smell the the smell the 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 plates that you're looking at in picture? It, it would really change the game. But that's down to the development of the actual phones uh, to be able to provide that at scale. Um, so I think it's still going to grow. Um, I don't know if it's really a question of will content evolve? Will we see more micro sketches? Uh, will we see more live? Will we see more um, long form VOD? Because essentially, I don't necessarily believe we've reinvented everything. I think we simplified the way we can make TV shows and everybody can be an at home TV producer. Uh, you know, it takes three guys behind the scenes to make uh, a live Twitch show. That's a podcast. That's a YouTube video. That's a live stream. And you can repurpose it with, you know, a uh, thousand euros goes a very long way. Um, in, in this day and age, and that's power. Um, so it's, I think we're going to empower citizens. The risk is, you know, uh, to paraphrase uh, uh, Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibilities is you can push out a message, but what is good influence and what is bad and, and how does social media help? Or should it be the judge of that would be the question. Perfect. Awesome. Okay, so let's chat some hoops. The NBA Finals, they're ongoing. As a series, as a whole, what's caught your eye? Tough one. Um, I like one thing. I like seeing that finally in the NBAs, it's not about just the big three. Um, I like seeing that it's one or two superstar teams that have gone uh, to the end. Um, I love seeing the youth starting to come out. Um, you know, Doncic made his playoffs. Trey Young um, uh, really did something for Atlanta, and we really do have a sort of reincarnation of Kobe and the great Devin Booker. And I say the great because whilst he didn't make the playoffs for a very long time, he's showing us a grit that is, I think, incredible. Uh, it's beyond whether or not he does win this championship. I think he'll come out of this as an alpha dog that everybody will finally respect. I think everybody disrespected the fact he didn't make the playoffs, but now that he is and he's all the way there and not that he did it alone, but you know, he's the, he's the, the first go-to guy. I think it's, it's nice to see that. And on Milwaukee side, one of the interesting debates happening right now is Yanis doesn't seem to get the same respect from his peers as a lot of the American players do. Do you think, A, do you think that's real? And B, if so, why do you think that is? I think Giannis is a 90s player in a, in a 2020 game. I think I see a lot more value in the post. Um, um, he's a Shaq in a different body type. And people expect uh, anybody with a, a guard or a, former, or a forward title and that's lean to be basically playing from beyond the arc. And he's proving not only mathematically, but with his style of play that just because you don't have range doesn't mean you're a bad player or a bad leader. On the contrary, they're building around not his limitation, but his skill set. Um, and whether or not he pops a free throw once in a while, which everybody does, or actually fans are having fun with his shooting routine. If you look at the stats, he's doing something incredible. And what I love about the Bucks is that they've grown their talent next to him as, a, as opposed to trying to do accurate hiring 
which is buying a trophy by buying already two Supermax contract players and then chucking him next to Giannis. I don't think that would have worked. And at the same time, what's cool about him? His demeanor. I mean, he's so self-aware. Uh, he, he seems like a guy you want to play next to. Um, like he'll trust you to take that shot. He'll do the hard job and maybe get injured and hyperextend his knee as he drives to uh, down the lane. But you'll get your moment um, and, and you'll get paid if you need to get paid. And I think that's great for talents that were often mistreated by other alpha dogs. Um, I think that's very, very positive leadership. And on top of that, to top it off, he's European. Uh, he's not, you know, just a player in the NBA and American. He's, uh, he's a DPOY caliber player. He's got MVPs under his belt. He's been patient. He's been with the one franchise. We're talking about Milwaukee here. I mean, how many people have stepped in and out of Milwaukee after Kareem Abdul-Jabbar left town? There was nobody there. I bet I bet you would have loved uh, the Yanis asset in your Harley-Davidson days, right? As their primary sponsor. Absolutely. Absolutely. I Actually, I, I was very intrigued by what that happened because I think, you know, Milwaukee looked at, uh, Harley looked at the population of Milwaukee and what it represented to the Harley Davidson image. It's the great outdoors. It's a bit north. Um, it's the American flag. It's not the sexiest city in the United States, but this is where you find the hardcore Americans. And you're associating it with a team based around um, uh, um, an Afro-European player uh, who who stumbles a little bit, uh, but it's very fun. It's funny about uh, and uh, about how he speaks in English. And at the same time, they're finding ways of activating it. They're, it's working for them. I mean, look at the exposure their brand got until the finals right now. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, so one other thing I want to talk to you about with regards to Yanis is I'm going to set this up a little bit to provide the context is I always personally feel like I understand players a lot better if I watch them play live and even more so if I see them off the court live in person, because I feel like I understand who they are as people and what drives them and all the rest of it. One of the experiences we were lucky enough to share was out at the World Cup in China and seeing Yanis in uh, either practices or before games, like way before fans are in there and stuff. Do you feel like you learned anything about him as a person in those days? Um, it's interesting. Uh Giannis is really and truly a family man. I remember this one moment we came early to an arena and you know how it is. You go to your, your team practice and then there's those guys that will stay and do a little bit more exercises. And, and, and Giannis and Thanasis were actually playing post-up game one-on-one -on -one, like they were still kids playing basketball in their backyard. Uh, they were still there. They were still doing it. They were still loving it. And to see that was something you don't necessarily see on camera on linear TV. You know, um, you don't you don't get to see first brotherhood in the same team. These guys did it for the national team and then for the Bucks. That's amazing. And then they were really genuinely training together and having fun together. The embodiment of, of brotherhood wasn't something they did just for a Nike deal. They were there just two Greek brothers playing post up games and telling each other the truth about how bad that move was. And this 
is everything. I think that heart that he has that we see snippets of on social media when you see 10 second extracts of a post game interviews about him talking about ego or, or, or him doing the funniest Instagram lives. He genuinely is that fun guy. He genuinely does have good values. Um, and the other thing is he absolutely is an athletic freak that, that body type, when you see the guy up close, the, the reach of his hands, the definition of his shoulders, that brute force is, 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 is amazing. I think if you're not a hardcore basketball fan, you always think basketball players are thin and very, very small. But when you see them up close, you realize the perspective of, you know, small is only due to the fact that they're so tall, but in reality, their backs are that big. You know, LeBron James, if you see him up close and I haven't done that yet, I'm pretty sure I'd be a little bit like, whoa, <laughs> that's a big man right there. Yeah, I, I, and that's the moment I was hoping you were going to talk about because that impacted me a lot in uh, very similar ways in how I then went on to think about him and um, the kind of crazy season he's had since then. So uh, moving on, NBA 2K, uh, you and I have played that game against each other, uh, released their cover athletes this week. So they've actually gone for a bumper edition with Luka Doncic, Candice Parker, Dirk Nowitzki, Kevin Durant, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Rui Hachimura all getting their own versions of the cover. Did any of those names stand out for you? All right, first... I love the fact that there's finally a female athlete on a on a on a video game cover. Um, I think that's how you start making an impact long term. If we really want to put women's sports on a platform, let's use the platforms that already exist. Um, uh, it's it's that's how you will inspire the next generation. Sometimes we have to think of how would you get the direct impact in sales, but you also have to look at in 20 years, will somebody remember that cover and say, that's why I started playing basketball? I think this is where it begins. Uh, and I love that. I love that. Um, Luca, look, it was just a question of time until he got his. Uh, the fact of the matter is he's always, he's been a pro player since his Real Madrid days. Um, he, he had already been playing summer games against NBA players. He came in he wasn't a rookie as we expect NCAA rookies to come into the NBA. Um, so I love seeing a European, a Slovenian young man um, um, rocking that main cover. And then the heritage edits. Uh, I like it, but I also do think, I don't know, I feel like KD, I don't know if it was needed in that edit. I would have maybe said Kareem or Dirk would have deserved their own individual covers as well. I think they're sharing a space. I would have loved to see the Kareem edition and they could have waited one more year or I would have loved to see the Dirk Nowitzki edition because there's so much more than one of three guys on a cover. Um, but again, I haven't played the game. And if does that, you know, change, is there like a specific storyline behind it, which is why they want to put them side by side? I don't know. Um, but I'm excited about it. Um, I'm excited about it. I think uh, if there was one more, uh, uh, I, I like the blacktop uh, edits of uh, the version of, of NBA 2K. If there's one thing I'd love to see in it would be a, a FIBA 3x3 uh, 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 rule-based blacktop. 
Uh, whereas, you know, when you, when the shot goes in, you don't just, uh, pick it up and check it up, uh, up top. You actually pick it up, run back and keep going. And the ball is yellow, you know? Yeah. Uh, that'd be awesome. And I think international teams in general, they did the dream team, uh, one year and, uh, that's the thing, but yeah, love to see more of that. I think for me, the ones who, the things that stood out for me were, and just before I go through this, actually, do we actually had uh, our own Mike Miller did an interview with the designer of the covers. So do go and check that out on doubleclutch.uk. Um, the ones that stood out to me were, were, A, the fact half of the covers are non-Americans. That's a big uh, step in recognizing the influence of international players now. Uh, I was really happy to see uh, the Kareem cover because he is an incredible person as well as one of the best players to ever live. And just because he hasn't really courted uh, and chased his own brand, I feel like a lot of youngsters don't really recognize how great he was, not only as a player, but as a human being. So um, I love to see that. Um, And the other one, uh, Candice Parker, I just want to build up a bit because as you say, first female athlete to get a cover and what I know is the reality is uh, a lot of listeners of this podcast maybe don't watch women's basketball. So what I want to do is just build up, um, give you give those people an idea of her career and her achievements just so they can take more of an interest. So uh, Candice Park was picked uh, first in the 20, 2008 WNBA draft by the LA Sparks. Uh, she had a rookie season that started with breaking the record for most points scored by a rookie in their first game and ended by earning both the WNBA's Rookie of the Year and the League MVP award. Uh, since her rookie season, Parker's played in six WNBA All-Star games, uh, won an MVP award, taken uh, a WNBA championship, and was a finals MVP during that championship run. Um, so well-earned and uh, a real big step, I think, in pushing women's basketball on uh, such a big platform as NBA 2K has become. Um, a little bit of trivia, and this can be for uh, the listeners to play along with as well, whichever version of this uh, show you're listening to or watching. So I mentioned that Candice Parker won both the Rookie of the Year and the MVP award in the same season. That has actually happened twice in NBA history. And I don't expect you to necessarily know this answer, but do you have any guesses at who either of these people may be? And I'll give you one clue in that they're both a very long time ago. And I hope, listeners, you are also playing along. I bet posthumously you're going to say you knew the answers, listeners, aren't you? Okay, let me give them to you. So first one was Wilt the Stilt Chamberlain in 1960. Absolute beast of a man. And second was Wes Unseld in 1969 for Washington, I believe. Um, Absolute specimens of men did what they wanted. Rookie of the year, MVP, same season. Can't argue with that. So... Let's talk about FIBA events and international basketball. We're coming to that stage of the season. The NBA finals is almost over and we're getting to that part of the season where international basketball takes over. And I know you've recently been working on uh, a number of events. So let's talk about FIBA under 19 a little bit. I was lucky enough to work on that event previously. And the thing I love about that event is not only the pride you see in those young players take in uh, representing their country, but just the sheer talent level 
that plays in that competition. If you're an NBA draft fan and you like seeing young guys come into the league, that is literally one of the best competitions out there, probably the best for seeing uh, the top guys, not only from the USA, but the likes of Serbia, Australia, all these different countries, France, of course, who are producing incredible talent now, um, to see them all play in one competition against each other. So can you talk a little bit about like, what was it like um, in Latvia this year? Yeah, so um, look, I, I attended the under-19 um, Men's Basketball World Cup in, in Riga, the capital of Latvia. Um, first, what a tournament. Uh, there is so much talent around the world. It's, it's, it's something to hear about it. Um, it's another thing to see it physically uh, happening in front of you. Um, the level of talent going anywhere from Argentina to Spain to Serbia to Canada to France uh, um, uh, uh, and, and then also to, to the United States is incredible. It was like watching a uh, uh, basically an NBA draft camp where people were trying to make sure they actually played a team sport. Um, it's, it's a great platform for these young men. Um, and then for these young athletes participating in those youth events, because they get to do it also in a very structured way. You know, there's the full support of FIBA, the full support of their federation. They have great gyms to work out uh, uh, and to prepare themselves. And to those that are doing it in COVID-19 um, and, and with, you know, what are called bubbles, uh, you have to give it to them, to their mental strength or being able to go through that. Because if you can... If you can, as a, as a young man, um, power through that type of competition, then anything that will, you'll get accustomed to or faced with uh, in, your, in your future career will come in a lot easier. It's less scary to be on the road for 40 games when you've already been in a bubble in a foreign country uh, for two and a half weeks focusing on your craft. Um, but that level of talent in, in, in the next two to three years um, is amazing. I think... Uh, in Riga, I'm, I can make a very educated uh, guess in saying that we'll probably have seen um, the next two or three lottery picks of NBA Draft 22 uh, and NBA Draft 2023. Uh, we'll have seen the next NBL players uh, because a lot of these athletes also take the NBL routes now more and more, uh, but also play in the European competitions in the biggest stages. Um, before and if they want to make an NBA run, uh, because it's not the only way of being successful as a basketball player as, as well. Uh, and I think that's important to also uh, say again, there is some mad talent out there. Really, really this, this, this year, Jaden Ivy, absolutely such hops. Uh, so for those of you watching it on screen, wow. Uh, this young man has um, uh, Russell Westbrook Twitch, um, with, uh, I'd say also a very good court vision. Um, I think he's headed to the, to the draft. Um, I think he does have that talent. Um, Zach Eddy out of Canada, uh, somebody to watch for, but cannot Canada already had a deep roster in the 2019 U19 world cup, which should attend it, Nick, um, Serbia has this young man called Jovic. Uh, for me, he's like a reincarnated, a reincarnated Dirk Nowitzki with a bit more hops um, and also just that Serbian mentality in, in basketball, uh, fierce grit, but very humble still. Um, 
deep. And um, and I'm not gonna just talk about USA here because there was Chet Holmgren, uh, uh, Gonzaga recruit number one pick uh, for 2022. Uh, but I'm gonna talk about Wen Benyama, um, 17 year old Frenchman, um, seven three, average 5.7 blocks per game, which is the highest block average of any FIBA competition ever since we started recording data. 5.7 blocks. He was a young teenager amongst very, very, very athletic teenagers. And it's just, it wasn't just that he's tall. I think his basketball IQ on both ends of the floor is extremely high. And I see a bright future for him. Um, and just to put it in perspective, he has the same management team than Rudy Gobert. So why I say that's important is because they know how to work with big men. Um, and it's very important to understand the athlete psychology uh, because they don't go through the same day-to-days that we do. And you have to accompany and be sensible to that, especially in the head of a teenager who is a teenager as well. Uh, he's a teenager with an immense talent, and that talent must be protected and nurtured. Um, and I think he's in very good hands. Um, to see Chet go against Wembenyana in the finals, USA versus France, was it's 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 something else and ju- just for some uh context for listeners you won't guess from his accent but Gautier is uh in fact french so he i'm sure took a lot of pride in the performance of france in that competition yes uh, i uh there are times where uh, people ask me where i'm from uh, uh but i i am french and i have lived in the u.s so uh, it's it's a very i'm very proud of seeing those moments as well um, uh, because I, I discovered the sport of basketball in France and then really saw what high level was in my heydays was in the US. Um, and to see also another nation like Korea uh, playing at the U19 World Cup, because I lived another four years over there, uh, was nice. Uh, but the, the, the gap between, um, I'd say, Asian basketball uh, and European basketball and, and let alone US basketball is still um, um, a great, uh, great um, I also think what cannot be compared is uh, the way these teenagers grow up um, um, and, and how that can impact how they make decisions on the court. But a deep, deep, deep class in the next years to come. I think we have seen the lottery picks for the next two drafts um, in that U19 competition. Nice. And the other competition uh, you were working around was uh, women's Eurobasket. What was your experience around that competition? Um, this is where it's, it's nice that you mentioned that was French. I got to see France lose twice in the finals <laughs> at Eurobasket women and at, uh, under 19 men's world cup. At least they were there. That's all I'll say as a uh, British person. Um, yeah, look, uh, there are some new standouts. Um, Bosnia and Zagovia, they had this, um, center pulling stats, like 40 points, 15 rebounds, 20 boards. Um, killing the game. Serbia, historically standing by the legacy of, of what basketball is to them. Uh, you know, they they had some nitty-gritty games. Um, they went to the finals, took it away from France, um, and they they adjusted their tactics. You can tell the, the coaching was amazing. Uh, what happened was, uh, for those that didn't follow the competition, first, Spain was the host, but Spain, uh, due to COVID-19, lost two of its main players. 
Um, and that and that was about then Alba Torrens. Alba Torrens being the number one offensive asset. So early in the competition, the host nation, which would have gone far, what not likely to go that far by virtue of the, the depth of their roster, also with a generational change in losing Laura Nichols and Marta Chargai. So that was something to, to, to note right away because the Spanish powerhouse was not a Spanish powerhouse that we uh, knew. And what, what is important to note is that you play these continental competitions also to secure a spot in the Women's World Cup qualifiers. As it stands with Spain's uh, performance, they are not qualified to the next World Cup. Their only way of qualifying is by winning the Olympics. That's that's something to know. So with Spain sort of going in a different round of that competition, we were looking at Serbia, France, Belgium um, as the top three teams. France brought their best roster in a very, very long time and historically have been losing the Eurobasket Owen finals for many competitions in a row. Um, but they were arguably the number one team. I think this was a summer of number ones for France. On paper, in football, the men's team was supposed to be number one. Um, I'm telling you, man, it's the year of the Italians. It's the year of the Italians. And and on paper, the women's um, basketball team was number one and actually was playing like the number one team until the finals. And I think this is what happened. When you're too good and nobody shakes your feathers like that until the finals... When you're in, in too much of a comfort zone, then you can get caught off guard. And what happened was Serbia did their scouting because when you know you're coming into face the Golden State Warriors of Steph Curry or LeBron's Miami Heat, you spend more time looking at tape and you adjust your tactics. So what happened? Serbia played the full court press from first quarter onwards. France turned it over and didn't see it coming because they didn't need to deal with that in the previous games. And they got caught. And then suddenly there's like this mesh of emotions where you've been winning for two weeks and then, oh, hold on, red flag, we're not winning. And actually these girls are killing it. Like they're not just playing where they're killing it. It was amazing to see as much as a Frenchman inside of me, I was bursting inside. I think Serbia had one of the best women's basketball lineups I've ever seen. It was beautiful basketball, really, really beautiful basketball. And if I can ask you two kind of related questions together, um, to me, it feels like uh, women's basketball was in a funny place in that, on the one hand, I think it's more popular than it's ever been before. And on the other hand, I think there's still a long way to go in kind of giving it uh, the credit and and uh, attention it deserves. So what do you think of the current state of women's basketball and I know there's people out there who they want to do a better job of supporting women's basketball, but maybe they don't have the level of knowledge they do of men's basketball or whatever. So what do you think is like the, if they can do one thing to start supporting women's basketball, what, what is that one thing? Um, that's a very good question. And, and first uh, I, I'd say my starting argument is, um, I'm the wrong person to ask for that because by virtue of being a man, I have my own biases. And when I was at Women's Eurobasket, I took the time at every dinner to listen to the women around me as to what their vision of the sport was. I think because it's still a male-dominated sport behind the scenes, we make also decisions that aren't, aren't voluntarily for, to the benefit of the development of women's sports. And uh, you learn. And I think the first thing to do is 
keep asking questions, discover, be curious, mm -hmm. don't stop. Ask about women's sports. Um, ask about um, uh, 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 about uh, teams. Ask about players um, because it's a growing space. I think the more and more we advance, there are more platforms, there are better budgets, better campaigns, better sports facilities, um, and the respect is growing towards um, women's sports and women's basketball. But also there are ways of us of proactively getting there. It's like slam creating slam women um, channels is a way to get there. Um, look at different publishers that used to have one Instagram account that now have women specific uh, accounts. Follow those. Cost us nothing to actually push ourselves in that direction um, because there's talent out there. And, you know, distribution is also down to how we behave as users. Um, so actually go look for the for the pieces of content. I think also at the same time, you're right. Uh, it's still a long road. Um, there are still so many gaps to bridge in the space of women's sports. You could, you know, look at WNBA salaries versus rookie contracts in NBA. This is the gap we're talking about, you know, when a max contract is barely 500 US, uh, 500 uh, uh, K uh, for WNBA for Liz Cambage and an NBA rookie contract is almost that, if not more, um, there's still going to be a long road. And here we're talking about leagues with domestic leagues with money, um, with uh, a decent PNL. Um, so it's, it's going to take uh, some time. I think it requires creating hero stories as well. I think things like long form content on uh, on on Amazon Prime or Netflix or The Zone, where um, you know the Naomi Osaka documentaries, uh, these are the types of pieces that will embed new legacies and help build the next generation and help raise the value of the sports, not only commercially but also people will start getting information. Awesome. Um, it, and and it's it's growing. It's growing. If 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 the question is how can people support women's sport, um, I think it's be active at the community level, at the national level, international level. Post, repost, attend uh, attend matches in your area. Uh, support your sisters. Support your 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 cousins. Uh, your mother. Um, uh, attend games. Uh, buy tickets. You know. Uh, be part of the experience. Awesome. Um, we're getting now very close to uh, Olympic basketball. And one thing I wanted to ask you, so a lot of listeners may not be aware that FIBA actually organizes uh, the qualifying for the Olympic tournament. And we, uh, a lot of teams qualify via the FIBA Basketball World Cup. And those who don't, uh, but are good enough, go through to the qualifying tournaments. And were there any standout stories from those qualifying tournaments that you think people may have missed that are worth them checking out? Um, there's one, and uh, we've talked about their, their nation a little bit earlier. Uh, let's talk about Italy and sports this year. Um, so for those listening in, Nick and I used to work together from when I joined FIBA Media. He, he was there a little bit before me, and we lived what are called the FIBA Basketball World Cup qualifiers. And um, um, we were following um, Italian basketball. And I remember someday somebody talked about Nico Mannion coming out of Gonzaga U. Um, fast forward to today, uh, Nico Mannion um, did the World Cup qualifiers, played a few windows, 
joined the NBA draft, got picked up by Golden State, and is actually getting minutes for Golden State Warriors. Um, and not just, you know, getting five minutes and dishing out, you know, two assists and maybe one shot up and one free throw, a little bit more than that. And Nico Mannion is back with the Italian national team. And these guys qualified for the Olympics. I'm so proud for the entire nation of Italy, seeing that not only for the for the Olympics do they have Gallinari still representing, um, you know, the vets are still there, but also there's this new generation fresh-faced Italians ready to carry through the flag um, into the Olympics and actually have a decent chance at, at going um, far enough in the competition. Um, so I'm really, really happy for, for Italy, for Nico Magnon, um, because at the same time, he's bringing in the Golden State Warrior fan base with him. And depending on how many years he stays with the franchise, um, that's added exposure to Italian basketball in the general sense. Um, the next one, but this is, I'd say, more popular and generally known is Luka Doncic bringing Slovenia to the Olympics. I think what people need to know is that this is a case in point where great coaching goes a long way. Doncic didn't need to put up 50 points um, and, and 25 assists. They, were, they built a system that worked as a unit, and it showed that with one all-star in a proper system, you could go and take out a lot of your opponents. Um, and Doncic did just that, and I love it. I think if you're Dallas, you watched, you definitely watched what he did with Slovenia. Um, don't forget, Doncic won the 2017 Eurobasket with Dragic, um, and that that head coach who then went to to, to coach Fenerbahce is is getting scouted by Dallas for an assistant coaching position uh, because they're trying to build around uh, Doncic. Uh, in the NBA to make sure that they put the right skill sets to give him those winning tools. Uh, so shout out to Luka Doncic, who not only gets an NBA 2K22 covers, but brings uh, his team to the Olympics. And may, I don't know if he's going to do it, but we'll get the opportunity to tattoo the little rings on his arms like every Olympian likes to do and add the title OLY next to his LinkedIn. Okay, so moving on to if you can cue me up, uh, Kirk. Nothing but Nick's nothing silly nonsense. Nick's silly nonsense. Okay, this is the part of the show where I ask a ridiculous question that has no right or wrong answer. But just if we can recap, because something happened this week where last week on this segment of the show, I was talking about uh, the fact Ben Simmons and Maya Jama appeared randomly at Wimbledon together. And it seemed like such an obscure pairing of NBA player and UK celebrity that didn't seem to make sense in my head. So we were speculating over who the next couple would be. And it turns out it's already been revealed because, as I mentioned in the intro to this show, Adele turned up with Rich Paul at the NBA Finals. So uh, little did we know last week what a pertinent topic we were discussing. So this week, I don't know about you, but I'm known in my circles as a relentless frequenter of nightclubs. It is to my absolute delight, therefore, that UK nightclubs have reopened. My question to you, if you had to choose two past or present players from the world of basketball for a single big night out, who are you choosing and why? And to give you some time to think, I'll give you my answers first. I have gone for... My first one is Charles Barkley. The stories of what Barkley got up to in Barcelona in the 92 Olympics are legendary. And 
I feel like it, I would be remiss not to include Chuck in my list. And the second, just for the lulls, is Paul Pierce, who, if his Instagram live is anything like his standard nights out, uh, that seems like something I should be a part of. So, go go. Do you have two players that you would want to share a big night out with? Um, yeah, look, uh, if I want to have a really, really, really wild night, I'd call J.R. Smith, Michael Beasley, and JaVale McGee. I don't even need to ask any questions as to why. Perfect. Okay. I think you'd have some laughs. You'd have some drinks. You'd probably spill a bottle or two. Definitely would. Um, but at the end, you come out with a laugh that will just give you cramps. <laughs> Can't argue with that. Okay, next segment of the show, Talking on D. Uh, we have a Discord server. If you are not already a part of it, uh, please do join. It's a place for fans to chat about uh, hoop stuff, non-hoop stuff, uh, kicks, uh, any other sport sometimes, if it links to basketball in any way, whatever. But on this part of the show, we like to talk about things that have been discussed this week. So uh, the NBA uh, launched uh, an official store in London on Carnaby Street this week. So a lot of people have been talking about that. What's in there? Do they stock Sacramento Kings merchandise? And if so, why? That sort of thing. Uh, our Phoenix Suns fans have been having an existential crisis as... Um, they were 2-0 up in the finals and are now 3-2 down. Ross McLeod in particular seemed to be asking some deep and meaningful questions uh, about life in general. And a personal thought, uh, Elliot, who was in the live stream, um, he was talking about golf in Kent, which gave me the uh, random thought of, I like it when during international tournaments, the host nation actually auto-qualifies a lot of the time. So my question is, my rhetorical question is, should Mike Miller, our own Mike Miller from Double Clutch, should he auto-qualify for any golf event played in Kent? And I think the answer is probably yes. Um, and now we get to our Discord listener questions. These are questions sent to us from our Discord server. And the first one is actually from uh, said Mike Miller. He said, can you provide some insight? And this one's uh, more for you, Gogo. Can you provide some insight as to how FIBA cultivates and grows its ambassadorial partnerships? And so I know, for example, you were the driving force with Stefan Marbury being such a major part of that Barcelona World Cup. Um, I'll never forget as a uh, teenage Knicks fan version of me, just sitting down for lunch with Stefan Marbury, pretending that's a normal thing to do. Um, so could you talk about what goes into like uh, building and growing those partnerships? Yeah, I, I think what matters is when, when athletes get out of the pro circuit as athletes, um, they all have to ask ourselves that, that question is, what is the legacy they want to leave behind? What are they putting to get there? And what type of partnerships will help get, will help getting there? Um, they're not just an influencer. They don't have just a social media reach. they actually have achieved a long career on and off the courts. And what matters is really aligning ourselves with our values, trying to see what are we trying to do in, in X, Y, Z country, uh, together. Are we trying to build courts? Are we trying to, uh, coach? Are we trying to, uh, uh, get more girls in the gym? Um, are we trying to uh, improve the perception of of the entity? And working with Stefan Marbury was really asking ourselves, Steph, you know, what do you want to do in the next few months? What makes you happy? Um, 
how connected are you to the Chinese fan base and, and what would you like to do with your Chinese fan base uh, that we could help you out with? Um, and, and once you get on that human level and you really ask, you know, not only do we do our research in the background, you know, a commercial research, um, you look at the career, you do some scouting, uh, you understand if he's trying to get into coaching and whatnot. And this is sort of what you have to do before you meet anybody influential is put in five hours of studies for a five minute conversation. Um, never take it for granted. Um, but once you you've done that, you can really sit down with them and ask them, look at them in the eyes like, bro, what's happiness now? Like, what what could we do together? And for me, it meant, you know, spending some time with him, observing what he was doing um, in the United States, uh, in New York um, with uh, college with basketball camps um, in Brooklyn um, at uh, um, at uh, uh, um, Dykeman Park. Um, and at the same time, it was seeing, understanding that he wanted to coach, um, in Beijing and, and, uh, seeing how there was a crossover between who he was coaching and how to promote basketball across China at the international level. Once you get on that human level about values and what we can do to together, it's not about money. Um, you know, these are people with 24 hours, just like us. So we just need to be very mindful of that. Uh, of those 24 hours because every minute matters. Thank you for that. So uh, next question, also Mike Miller. He was in a flurry of questions today. Uh, Chris Paul has received some backlash for his foul on Yanis in the closing moments of the game. So I, I don't know if that play where he's throwing down the alley, Chris Paul is essentially pushing him out of bounds as he does it. Uh, where do you both personally draw the line between the desire to win and not being dirty? Did Chris Paul cross a line? And how would you apply the same principles to Yanis's hit on Booker? After the whistle, I know, but hypothetically, dot, dot, dot. So here's my take on this. Um, and I think Mike was alluding to it in the way he asked the question, in that for me, it's not necessarily about whether it's a foul or not on any individual play. For me, it's about consistency. And it's about the players knowing if they do a certain action, what is the consequence? Um, and that needs to be applied consistently across players, across teams, and across the games of a series. So that is, because I think if you get away from that, that's when players start to have issues with referees. If they can play a certain way in a certain game, and then it's called a foul in the next game, that's an issue. If, uh, Conversely, if they're allowed to get too physical and fouls are never called, then they get way too physical. So for me, the answer is mostly about consistency. It's not whether it's a um, whether it's like a flagrant or not. It's just about if it's a flagrant in one game, it should be a flagrant in the next game. How about you, Gogo? Do you have any differing thoughts to me on that? I'll take another angle. I'm just trying to try and position it from a referee perspective. Um, I've had I've had the opportunity to to meet referees amongst many competitions, and it's a different breed of 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 people in 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 the world of sports, and often misunderstood. Very diplomatically put. Yeah, absolutely. And they have a very tough job. Is whether they like to or not, they can actually set the type of game that will happen by allowing certain fouls to play on both ends of the floor. But it's about balance, right? Um, if a foul it can be arguable on the one end, you might want to leave an arguable foul on the other end so it sort of balances out. And as fans, we often see it, but there's actually a rationale behind it for them. 
in the case of an NBA playoff series where you have to win four out of seven, that carries on to another game because you're not just looking at one quarter. You're looking at game one fouls versus game two fouls. Um, so I think if you let one big one go through in game one, it's okay to let another one go in game two, but it's not a written rule. It can never be. Um, at the same time, look, Chris Paul's done a few dirty fouls in his heydays. It's okay. It's basketball at the same time. Um, you know, it's it's not American football where you're full contact, <coughs> but Jordan used to get hit and banged up. He got six rings, right? Can't argue with any MJ chat. Um, next, um, I was hesitant to include this one because it's a bit repetitive of what we talked about last week, but there's enough of a twist on it where I allowed this question. So Matt Hardy, uh, a.k.a. UK Nets fans, with Adele and Rich Paul reportedly dating, who is the next surprise NBA uh, British celeb pairing? And what is their nickname? This is the crucial difference to what we talked about last week because uh, it has to include a nickname. So he's included an example of Shake Milton and Mary Berry who would make Shake and Bake. And again, to give you some time to think, Ogo, about who you might be choosing and why, I have picked, uh, and this is reflective of quite how immature I am, I knew my first answer, my first person was going to be Colin Sexton, just for his name solely. And I came up with two, uh, Stacey Solomon, so we could have Sex Man, and Lightning from Gladiators, so we could have Sex Lightning. Um, Is there anyone who jumps out as you as a strange pairing? And... uh, Again, Gogo lives in Spain now. He's a Frenchman living in Spain. So his knowledge of UK Z-list celebrities may not be the strongest. Um, I'm trying to think who should Chibuddy G be dating in in uh, in, uh, in the NBA. Uh, anybody, Chibuddy, anybody with Chibuddy G would be a very good, interesting uh, uh, match courtside. I mean, you know, Chibuddy G dating a Kardashian, um, attending uh, any... <laughs> Uh, uh, Devin Booker's games would be something I'd love to see echo around the world. Um, you know, corrupt FM. And final question. Uh, this is from Richard Fang, uh, one of our Bucks fans who is going to be potentially celebrating deliriously in the coming days. Obviously, these playoffs were attacked for not potentially being a top class finals. Obviously, due to the fact it features a team uh, that has not won a chip before and one that hasn't won in over 50 years. Would you say these finals have surprised you and how would you compare it to recent finals of the past? Um, Look, I think we cannot discredit this final only on the basis of COVID-19. I think, yes, there may have been a lot more injuries, but the season started later. Uh, maybe there was a percentage of game that was more compressed, but at the end of the day, you got to, you know, getting to the finals is a mix of talent, but also endurance and that's physical endurance. I think if you need to review the way that you're conditioning yourself over the season to diminish the risk of injuries, there are ways to do that. And I think we need to look at that. Um, I think also, yes, the NBA has a very heavy uh, match schedule and a, a lot of obligations to enter to, but we shouldn't just discredit these NBA finals just because we didn't see the big threes get out there and and it's Devin Booker because it's Devin Booker. That's what should be said. And it's Chris Paul and it's DeAndre Ayton. And they didn't just get there by, by you know, seeing everybody get injured and suddenly the door got open. 
they fought through a regular season, which they played in quite well as well. And for Giannis on that end, Giannis has been building this over many years. I think this is where people don't want to see Giannis maybe go to the finals uh, because of his playing type. And it's sort of uh, different in his generation, but he's getting there. So I wouldn't discredit it. I think, is it different than other ones because of COVID-19? Yes, uh, but the Lakers won in a bubble um, um, and we don't see that much negative criticism as to that championship of LeBron and Anthony Davis uh, in Disneyland. Um, whereas here, we're back to you know stadiums traveling, uh, just a little bit more protocols when you were traveling. Uh, so uh, this is the nature of sports. We'll never agree with the wins and we will always call the what ifs. Um, what if, uh, uh, what if the UK had brought it home? Um, you know, um, what if, uh, uh, Mbappe had put that penalty at the end of the day, he didn't put it in. Um, at the end of the day, there was a championship winner. There was a winner and that's the beauty and the challenge of sports. We can't all be happy. Uh, but these teams are still building their legacy. Um, and and uh, as stories are meant to be written and rewritten anyways, and that will give more energy for the other 30 teams that didn't make it to the finals uh, um, next year. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I look at these finals and I any question like this, I know I am very not representative of an average person in that I'm a absolute nerd when it comes to basketball. So things that I love to see are like, there's so much talent in the NBA. I love to see different players being in the spotlight. Um, uh, and you've definitely seen that with these finals, be it uh, Chris Paul finally getting to the finals, uh, a, a star like Devin Booker having his moment to uh, kind of cement his the early stages of a legacy for himself. Uh, Yanis, obviously, is Yanis. But Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, all of the Bucks fans, Pat Connaughton stepping up. Um, I, I've always loved to see uh, new players getting to shine in the, in the brightest game. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've loved this finals, but I love every finals because I am who I am. So, I, as I say, I'm not the uh, best person to ask on that one. So that actually brings us to a close. And before we go, I'd like to thank uh, NSA7 for joining our Discord. Uh, a few Twitter followers while we've been on air. Collie Wally, that's a sick name if that's your real name. Well done. Harry Gibson, uh, Dimes and Buckets, thanks for following. And Gogo, where can people find you on social? Um, my, my, my Twitter handle is uh, Gogo Rakoto. Uh, and if you're watching the, the, the recorded visual aspect of this uh, of this episode you can see on the top uh, on top of my head um and on instagram um let's go go now uh, is where i am um hit me up send me dms i'm very active um and uh and uh, nick and to double clutch guys it's great to see you guys at episode 393 uh um what's the plan for the big 400 that would be telling it's gonna be big though watch the space Thanks, man. And one final thanks to Captain Kirk. Uh, obviously, all the stuff we do uh, on Twitch wouldn't be possible without him. So huge thank you to Captain Kirk. And with that, I will bid you good evening. Have a great week, everyone. And we'll see you same time, same place next week. <laughs>